wicked, wicked fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. Good everyone. Lauren Cress, the business scientist here for another episode of Grow Your Brand Season 2, a bonus episode today. I'm interviewing the lovely Kristen Shivago. Uh, Kristen and I were actually originally scheduled to do an episode for Season 1. Uh, but given everything that's happened, I asked Kristen if she'd be t- kind enough to share her thoughts on how you can keep your brand promise during this time. Because I think that one of the things that's really hard at the moment, and we talk about this on the show, is sort of working out how to pivot without completely letting go of what it is you do and why you do it. And Kristen shed some uh, you know, really insightful light can I say that? Insightful light? Yeah. Um, on the topic. So uh, I've put it into the season two uh, podcast as a bit of a bonus episode for the weekend. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And if you want to find out more about Kristen and her work, uh, just check out the show notes for the links. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy today. And by the way, if you are enjoying what we're doing, please let me know. Uh, leave a review, leave a rating send me an email, get in touch on LinkedIn, whatever you prefer. But really, really great uh, to hear feedback uh, from you guys to know that this is what you want. Uh, All right. So without further ado, I'll let you have a listen to the interview from today and wishing you a very uh, healthy and joyful weekend despite everything that's happening. Kristen Zhivago is president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing agency. And she's also the author of the five-star book, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. She is a worldwide speaker on the subject of selling to today's digital savvy customers. And she joins me now to talk about navigating this time in this health crisis and still be able to build your revenue. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So you and I were having a bit of a chat uh, before we sort of hit record and I was like, we need to get this. We need to capture this. This is really, really important. Um, can you? Can we start by talking a little bit about, you know, what businesses are kind of going through right now? I mean, there's change after change kind of hitting businesses here in Australia, here in the US and around the world. What's kind of your perspective on on what's happening to people's mindset when it comes to generating revenue right now? Well, when you're talking about business owners and entrepreneurs, um, the the health of the business is aligned very much with the health of their mental state. So it's really easy as you keep checking in on your, your favorite news source to just totally freak out about all of this and worry and wonder what's going to happen. I've been through a number of um, recessions, first in Silicon Valley, because I worked there. I was um, part of the whole tech thing before tech was even cool or anybody really knew about it. 
And we went through a lot of mini recessions there. So I got to see that in a microcosm uh, environment. And then obviously after tech came out and the, the web came out in 94, um, I saw obviously all the other recessions that we've seen. And now one of the things I've noticed is what I call a distraction recession, which is what we had. There was a period in the Gulf War where there was a big battle. And then, of course, 9-11, um, that was a global um, distraction recession. And we're in another one, but now we have the added um, unknown of, of various world governments stepping in and saying, you can't do business anymore. I mean, one of our clients is a collection agency, and the, the states are telling them they can't collect. That's pretty hard if that's what you do for a living. Um, so it's a very interesting time and a very different time, and I think it's a time to stay as calm as you can and focus on the essentials. And the essentials are who's standing at your door right now with money in their hands. That's where revenue comes from. Somebody has a need, and they think you can fill it. And as I tell my team all the time, if somebody's standing at the door with money in their hands, you don't say, oh, we're too busy or our system doesn't support it. You just say, oh, come on in. Um, let's figure out how we can do this together. And then you, you give them the kind of love and attention that they deserve and you meet their needs. So I think the first thing to do is to look around and say, what are the needs right now in this chaotic environment and how could we meet them? with the resources that we have so we can keep everybody in our team working without laying off and that kind of thing. So that's the first answer. Yeah, I think that's a really good point actually about sort of, you know, you don't turn people away if if they they want the value you provide but they just maybe perhaps need it in a different way right now. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on, because I think this is the struggle and this has been a conversation I've been having with a few experts over the past couple of weeks is that there can be this temptation, I think, especially amongst, amongst entrepreneurs who are very creative, and I definitely struggle with this myself, to go the other extreme, which is, all right, I'll just, you know, completely, uh, you know, change my tactic, change approach, and perhaps uh, have the tendency to actually completely forget who we are, who our brand is and the value we offer and say, go, okay, where's the need? And I'll just jump into that and provide that need where, you know, it doesn't necessarily connect with our uh, actual initial business value proposition. What's your thoughts on that? I think I'd want to go into talk a little bit about my whole thing about branding, because um, for years and years, I watched branding experts get up there and make hundreds of thousands of dollars building brands for people. And, and I watch speakers, um, you know, they giving you telling you to be a purple cow and, and, um, you know, how to stand out from the crowd. And, and the problem was that afterwards you go back to your office and you could not put those principles to work for yourself. It just, it just wasn't doable. Uh, and after years of interviewing customers and then working with CEOs and entrepreneurs, I found that there was a big gap between what customers really wanted. It was always very specific and it's more specific than ever now that we can just find whatever we want on Google pretty much. Um, and so I, I, I realized that I came up with this, what turned out to be a, a well-quoted statement, which is that branding is the promise that you make. Your brand is the promise that you keep. And you keep that promise 
with your products and services, your people, your passion, your policies, which direct a lot of decision-making, and your processes. And when I went into companies and all types of companies, different industries, I found that they usually had pretty good products and services. They usually had good people. The passion was there if the original founder was there. The policies, pretty good if the founder wasn't a jerk. Policies get bad if the founder's a jerk, and I just avoid doing business with jerks, so that solves my problem anyway. But the thing that was the weakest was processes, and that's still true today. Most of the processes that we have now are guided by apps, so you're really only as good as your applications and keeping your process and keeping your promises. So if you get tempted by some other idea, I would look at those things and say to myself, how much change is it going to take in these various areas, products, people, passion, policies, and processes to make this work? Because that's how we keep our promises to our customers. And if we violate that somehow, or it's too big of a leap in a certain area, you're either going to have to manage your way through that very carefully, or you're going to have to back up and say, wait a minute, I'm leaving my comfort zone here. And I don't mean comfort zone like feeling good about yourself. I mean, can we really keep our promises here? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a really, really great way of putting it. And it's very grounding, I think, to come back to some of those fundamental things that make a business a business and make a brand a brand. Can you just go through, because I'm a big fan of frameworks on this show. And one of the things I've talked about a lot Uh, particularly in season one, is like the importance of understanding how some of, you know, I keep seeing, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, you know, you go online, you go and search for for something and, oh, like I need some help with marketing. And you get these lists that are like 48 (laughs) dot points long or 99 (laughs) dot points long, 99 ways to improve your LinkedIn profile, you know, those kinds of things. And it can feel really overwhelming. So I love that you kind of brought it down to these, I think it was five P's. Do you mind just going through a little bit more um, through that framework? Because I think that's actually a super, super helpful one when we're going back to those fundamental sort of principles and going, okay, hang on, you know, how does how does my business run, and and how do we how do we provide value? Yeah, and one of the things I've I've um, been, been encouraging people to do for years is to get on the phone and interview their current customers. And I talk about that a lot in my book. I have, I've given away all the secrets um, about how to do that successfully. The goal is to find out what people really think of you. Um, and CEOs and entrepreneurs are usually uh, surprised. You know, a lot of stuff they already know, but some of the stuff they have a, a head slapping moment and they think, wow, I had no idea that people thought of us that way or that we had that problem or that this is the main thing they come to us for. That's the biggest wake-up call is when you think you're selling X and it turns out they don't really care much about X or they assume everybody has X and what they really want is Y and you you don't even realize that's why they're buying you. That's big because you should be um, marketing that. It is your differentiator. And if you think, if you assume that you know that, you're going to be disappointed. So um, all of these things that you talk about, these five things, and yes, you're right, there are five, um, 
each one of them has to be measured in terms of what your customers think, not the people you're selling to, but the people who have already signed up and paid some money. After they've bought, they'll tell you what they really thought. They'll tell you their buying process. They have a vested interest in your company, so they'll speak to you and be helpful. While they're buying, they won't tell you anything, which is why, because they're playing poker, they're negotiating. And your salespeople don't know then what they're really thinking. I mean, how many times have you sat through a sales pitch and then you shook the guy's hand, which, of course, you can't do anymore anyway. Um, and he goes back to the office and he tells his boss, I've got this account. And you've gone back to your computer and started looking for a competitor because you hated something the guy said. Yeah. So we don't tell people what we're really thinking while we're being sold to. Mm-hmm. So you have to call people after their customers. And you need to find out how they feel about these things. So your products and services, are they up to snuff? Do they fail? Do you do you break your promise in the way you ship them or the instructions or the information you give up front and then they're disappointed afterwards? I mean, just read Amazon reviews to see how many times that happens. Yeah. So your products and services, you need to understand how well they are keeping the promises you made. And then the people, are they being rude to your customers is there somebody i mean I've, I've done interviews where it turns out there was one person in the company who was just really being rude to to their partners their distribution partners and uh, nobody knew it yeah. because she was very nice to everybody else in management so they didn't think there was a problem um and she was kind of i think she's accounting for 50 percent of their sales being um, people just saying, I'll never do business with that company because of that woman. So you really do have to be careful about that. And then your passion is um, really what do you care about? Are you trying to solve a problem or are you just trying to get rich? And if you're just trying to get rich, people will sort of out you at some point. Um, that never lasts very long. If you really care about solving their problems, they'll know that and they'll appreciate you for it. So it isn't so much whether you have passion, it's what you're passionate about. Your policies come from whether you're a jerk or not. Like I said, I don't do business with jerks. I even have a jerk test and I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you, I can tell someone's a jerk just by asking them one question and how they respond to it. Uh, jerks don't make good policies. Jerks okay. hurt other people. And my definition of a jerk is somebody who makes life harder for other people. A nice person makes life easier for other people, or at least tries to. A jerk will do everything they can to get in the way, slow things down, draw attention to themselves, confuse people, give them incomplete instructions, and so on. So policies, if you're in this situation, you do this, uh, come from whether the person cares about people and has a passion to help, or if they don't really care. And again, those are being outed now. Back in the old days when we didn't have the internet, it took a long time for somebody to find out that the CEO was a jerk, but that's mm-hmm. not happening anymore. <laughs> yeah. People are finding out really quickly if the CEO is a jerk. And they go to um, the, the sites where people talk about their jobs and give bad reviews and so on. And then the biggest issue is processes. So if you have a good product and good people and you're passionate and you have wonderful policies, but you can't ship on time, or the quoting and um, invoicing system is too cumbersome, 
or people spend twice as much time doing something that should take them half the time, you got a problem. You're not keeping your promises. And I think like in the context of what's going on now with the health crisis, I think, you know, that is such a that is such a pain point right now for businesses because even if their processes were okay um, or, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I'm tempted to say that I think a lot of businesses, I mean, in Australia at least, I've got a lot of small businesses that are under 20, you know, sort of 20 staff. That's that's the majority of businesses in Australia. So, that's think, it, by the way, that's the majority of businesses in the U.S. too. You just don't hear about it. Yeah, something there you like ninety four percent. There you go. Are, have fewer than nine employees. Yeah. Well, well, that's good because then we're talking, you know, across the U.S. and Australia, which are our main listeners. You know, we're we're kind of keeping it relevant, and I think, um, you know, the the problem here anyway has been that a lot of businesses have been able to get by without changing processes for a long time. Um, that's mm-hmm. what my observation has been anyway. Like, I, you know, I have got some data to support that. So I know a few years ago we still had about 50% of small businesses weren't online, as in they didn't have a website, <laughs> they didn't have a Google mm-hmm. My Business page, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, to me I'm like that's getting comfortable. You know, if, if you're not online, uh, you've kind of managed to – to get away with uh, not not um, not ch- not changing with the times, right? Not evolving, and now I think businesses who have you know been able to get away with that uh, can't. You know, like with everything that's happening now, it's sort of like you need to be able to deliver uh, your service online or deliver your product online. Uh, your processes now, if they haven't already started to change, need to change quickly. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about... Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash go. NetSuite.com slash go. About that because I think that, you know, this process area, which may have already been a problem, is now, you know, urgent, urgent, urgent to change. What would you say to businesses who are in this position? Like, can they change in time? Do you think there's there's an ability for them to evolve or do you think it's kind of uh, too late at this point? Well, that's a good question. I mean, how long is this going to last? None of us know. And it might come in waves. I mean, now one of our health guys up here in the States is saying, you know, it might come annually or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're all like, oh, God. Um, I think, you know, it goes back to these these fundamentals. um, And there's a couple of things happening right now with digital transformation the first person I hired, I, I've had my own business since 1979 in Silicon Valley. So I've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've learned this, this. My husband was actually, we were in business together, and he's the one who taught me the value of process. Um, has an engineering background and, and just really turned me into a process convert uh, because I could see what a difference it made to people's revenue to get that right. 
the the way things are working now, when I first started this business, I started this agency in um, 2017, and the first person I hired was someone I call an app whisperer in the sense that she was really into systems. She really understood uh, how to find good apps that would get us, because um, I wanted to be a process-centric system with great people. And, you know, you watch somebody like Amazon, when they first came out, and I was there when they did, I thought, this is the first infrastructure-based company I've ever seen. Mm. Everybody else started with a product or service. Bezos started with a process, a system, an infrastructure. And now he's selling everything. He started out selling books, but now he's selling everything. And, you know, he's, I think he's the world's richest man, last I checked. Um, so it's really important because then you can pivot. And it, it comes down to this thing of, you know, okay, let's try this other thing and see if we can make money doing that. And if you can pull in a lot of the processes, the and I would say they would be application-based processes because we're all doing business out in the cloud now, or you should be. You're only as good as your apps, and you're only as good as the apps that can interact with each other and exchange data with each other. You should not have silos of data sitting around and apps where, you know, if you enter it once, it should go everywhere. It shouldn't have to be entered here and entered there and entered there. So there's a lot of basics. The first thing I would do if somebody was trying to get up to speed quickly is I would try to find somebody that has that knowledge that's good at, at apps. And, you know, it's a new kind of thing. So you've got to find them. It's not easy to find them. But the other thing I would do is diagram. Every argument I've ever had with an IT person who said that's not possible, I would get up in front of the whiteboard and I'd say, because I used to turn around marketing and sales departments for companies and, you know, we'd go in and say, we need to fix this process. And they'd say, no, 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 it's not possible. So I would start to diagram on the whiteboard. And we would just diagram that the thing comes in here, the thing goes out there, you know, what happens in between, who touches it, which application is being used to make that, where does the data go? Um, you just draw a diagram. Yeah. And at the end of every single one of those sessions, the IT person would say, I would say, wait a minute, if we're doing that here, how come we can't just take the data from there and put it here? And you'd be like, well, yeah, I guess we could do that. <laughs> so <laughs> if you do that, you can get the IT people and the, and, or your, your, whoever's running your, your app or tech support for you or whatever. And you have to find someone who's not wedded to a specific system because it's one of the problems with developers is they get used to what they're used to and they don't want you to use anything else. And you want apps that are pretty well used because if you get in at the early stages, I mean, I've been helping people sell software for decades and it ain't ready at the beginning. Yeah. It's not. They don't have enough user input. They haven't learned enough lessons. They haven't figured out how to support it. So you really need to stick to apps that are pretty well tested out in the marketplace. And you need somebody to help you figure out what you can get out of those apps and how your diagram will be satisfied by those apps. It makes me want to ask you, Kristen, what is your favorite app? Do you have a favorite app that you're just like, oh, I love this? <laughs> 
I actually have a couple right now, which is unusual for me. I'm usually discouraged with um with apps. Um, yeah, Slack. I run a virtual mm-hmm. company. We've got people mostly in the U.S., but also all over the world, and um, which is why this virus hasn't affected us at all in terms of our ability to work. We were already virtual. Yeah. Slack is just the best program for communicating with each other. Um, just making sure every, I'm going to run my whole company on Slack all day long. Mm-hmm. Clients are on it, and my team is on it, and nothing slips through. You just, you just, everything moves smoothly. It's like being in the same office together, and you just walk down the hall and have a quick discussion, and then pop out. It's fantastic. The other one that I really like is Avaza. Um, that's a pro, um, a project management system that we've been using for a while. Uh, we were on Teamwork, which was also a fantastic app. And by the way, I've tested probably, I'm not exaggerating, probably 45 to 50 different project management systems in the last 10 or 15 years. And this, these two were just, I, I really saw these types of programs starting to finally mature to the fact where they work the way you want it to work instead of forcing you to work the way they want it to work. Uh, and we run on Avaza now and we make tasks. We have a lot of ad hoc projects coming through as well as recurring revenue. And it takes two minutes to create an estimate. Um, you know, we've designed it properly, but, and then as soon as it becomes, it uh, goes through the whole project management thing, then they can just click one button and it becomes an, uh, an invoice. It's just, it's been fantastic. It's very clean, not cluttered up with a lot of um, pretty pictures and stuff. It's just, text on the white background <laughs> a little bit of you know um, sidebars and stuff it's very clear it does its job very well um, one one program that's always frustrated me is QuickBooks they've gotten a little bit better and we do run our financial stuff on them because they're so compatible with everything else but the navigation one of the big problems and something you need to look for when you look at an app is whether the the navigation, the screen layout and all of that stays pretty much the same as you go through the various sections of the, the program. QuickBooks is all over the map. Sometimes you click up in the upper right. Sometimes you click over to the left. Sometimes there's a menu on the left. Sometimes there isn't. As I said, they're better than they were 20 years ago, but or whenever they came out. But uh, that, one's, that one's cumbersome. So it's, it, if it looks sleek, and, and clean, and it's obvious where you go next, that's a good app. One of one of my favorite apps that I've started using only recently and everyone that I onboard, because I'm the same, I work with people around the world uh, from a client perspective and also a contractor perspective, and uh, and everyone loves this. Everyone I've, I've brought on, they're just like, we're going to use this in our business as well, um, is Airtable, which is like, I got recommended, uh, like it's not big in Australia, but fortunately because I have a lot of contacts in the US, I usually find about things before they're really marketed here. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of like, because I'm a spreadsheet person, you know, like some people are yeah. spreadsheet people, some people aren't. I'm like, I actually, I, I, I like a good spreadsheet, but, you know, the problem with like Google Docs is it, it gives a lot of room for people to input their own data where what this does is it allows you to very easily set up sort of like drop downs so people can just, you know, select different statuses for projects or 
you mm-hmm. know, uh, put different collaborators on and stuff. And I've just been so impressed by it. But it's just amazing how you know, what you've been talking about as well, like just implementing and using a different tool. I mean, it took us like a day and it completely changed how easy it was for us to work with our clients and like I said, work with contractors as well. So I was like, in, in my opinion, I mean, especially if you do have that smaller team of like, you know, that five to 20 kind of size, it doesn't necessarily uh, take too long to get across you know, a new system um, and and kind of make it work for you. I mean, what's what's your thoughts on that? Do you think it's it's something that you can do in a relatively short period of time? Yeah, if you diagram it first, you got to yeah. map it out first. Um, I typically, I've started doing that on my iPad, my larger iPad. It's just faster. Um, I If I have to use a diagramming program, and that's another one that I've gone through a million of them to try to find the best. I've ended up at Vengage, V-E-N-N-G-A-G-E. Uh-huh. Really good templates, really fast, sleek. Um, you know, it's, you can do a diagram very fast in there. I've tried Lucid Chart and a whole bunch of others, but this one's pretty good. Airtable is wonderful because they've taken what they did. They managed to combine a spreadsheet and a database. Yeah. yeah. A relational database. And that was a major thing because, a database by itself has its limitations in terms of the spreadsheet and a spreadsheet by itself has limitations in terms of the database. It just, they have wonderful things within themselves, but alone they, they miss those things. You couldn't really get full use and you can build systems out of Airtable, I think. Um, so I, yes, I, I think that's a very good program. We, we tended towards some of these other apps because they were ready. Yeah. But if you're building a small business and you just want to build something out and not get all convoluted by stuff you don't need and, you know, it really is just built for you, Airtable is not a bad way to go. Yeah. But you got to diagram it first. I love the diagram tip. I think, you know, there's there's so many things that like uh, just by understanding – one of my favorite books – sorry, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. But one of my favorite books of all time for anyone who's kind of trying to work out oh, like how do I get things out of my head and onto paper – there's a book called The Organized Mind by Daniel Levitin. He's a neuropsychologist and cognitive scientist and he talks about, you know, how our brain works when it comes to really like digesting information and how things can also build up in our heads, you know. So uh, how things can kind of – and sorry, Kristen, I know you know this, but just for people listening, like um, it's so important to get things on paper. That is how our brain works or mm-hmm. on a, on a di- some sort of digital version of paper, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people hesitate to have a whiteboard in the room or just something simple, and I'm like, it just makes – we just need a whiteboard in the room. It will make a massive difference to our brainstorming session because that is how, you know, our brain works. And I love what you've said about diagramming because – it's the same thing, right? It's like, yeah, when you're talking in non-concrete terms, could this work? Could this connect? It's very hard to see it. When you have it in front of you, this goes here and then it goes there. Uh, it suddenly, it's, it's our brains can actually process that information. Yeah, I also find that, especially with like, if you're a marketing person and you're more on the creative side and then you're trying to talk to a technical person, or you're a management person and you're trying to talk to a technical person. The way they imagine what you're saying 
is often different than what you mean. Mm. I mean, it's kind of the male, female, Mars and Venus thing when I talk to my husband and I'm trying to explain something. And to me, it's perfectly clear what I'm saying. And he's like, what are you saying? (laughs) So I draw a picture and suddenly we're just, you know, pointing and grunting at the picture and, and we get it. It's immediate recollection or or recognition sorry of what you're trying to communicate Mm -hmm. so there is there are languages there are ways people use words and languages uh, and the engineering language type person is going to speak completely different than the marketing type person when you put it on a a whiteboard or an ipad or whatever you're using because you can share screens now and everything it just grounds the whole thing so you're pointing, you're saying that thing over there moves over here and the person goes, yes, okay, I understand exactly what you're saying. Here's what we need to do or whatever the you know, conclusion is. But it just cuts all that misunderstanding out mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. and gets you down to a productive conversation. I love that. It's a, it's a great tip. Uh, Kristen, we're going to have to finish up in a minute. But um, just before we go, if people want to find out more about you, the work you're doing in this space, how do they uh, reach out and get in touch with you? Well, of course, we have a website. (laughs) My first site was in 1994, so I I get the whole website thing. Um, So it's zhivagopartners.com. You can search for me online at Kristen Zhivago, my first and last name. I have a book, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. That's on Amazon in various formats. Um, I have a blog in um, Zhivago Partners that I write in pretty much monthly or, or more often. I also have a, um, a site that I've kind of been doing because of it's just a heart thing. I feel like I want to give to the people who are starting out and they're trying to figure out which end is up and get along in life and do well. Uh, and that's called Christian's Wisdom. And I write in there once or twice a month. Um, I've got a couple of articles in there right now about staying sane in the midst of, comment, of uh, chaos mm-hmm. and also how to live a stress-free life. So hopefully some of those will be helpful to people in this very interesting time that we find ourselves in at the moment. And for people out there who are kind of really, you know, on that, like, I mean, I, I think, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show already and had guests talk about this, but with that feeling like, oh, you know, is it, maybe we just throw in the towel, like feeling that sense of lack of motivation, it sounds like, that blog will be a really, really useful tool for them. Are there any uh, sort of like parting words you would say to people who who might be feeling like that uh, just to kind of help people get into that growth mindset again and, and see see the opportunities that, that are there now? Yes, uh, no matter what happens, there are always going to be people with a need and the desire to pay for it. You just have to find them. Keep your eyes open. Look for your opportunities. Don't put your head in the sand because you can't see those opportunities while you're in the fetal position in your living room, um, you know, working on your laptop because you can't go to, to work. I mean, this is, of all the things I learned from recessions, the most important thing is to put your head up, stay calm, and look around and start seeing where you can help. And that's where the money comes from. And it's where satisfaction comes from and a sense of purpose and feeling good about your life you know so 
it's all about love. It's all about taking care of people, finding out what they need, figuring out how you can help. Kristen Travago, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed every minute. Thank you.